I'd like you to take a Bible and turn to Joshua chapter 10. Joshua chapter 10, it's page 177 in the Bibles the church provides. If you don't have a Bible, there's one in the rack in front of you or under your seat. Page 177 uh, is Joshua 10. Actually, we're going to be on 176. So 176, 177 in the church Bibles. While you're turning, I'll tell you a little story. When I was in high school, my foreign language, everybody had to have a foreign language. My foreign language was Latin. Uh, That was not my choice. My parents signed me up for that. And while the teacher was fantastic, I loved our Latin teacher, and I really enjoyed the class, it was difficult. And uh, at times, especially, the homework was just sort of tedious and tiresome. I mean, there's only so many times you can translate the Aeneid or Cicero or whatever, and I just wasn't that interested, let alone could I even figure out what was going on back in ancient Rome. But our teacher, Mr. Norman, uh, who was a great Latin teacher, he was pretty creative to try to find ways to take this sort of dead language and make it sort of more interesting. And so one of the things my senior year that he did to try to keep us engaged with doing our homework, and especially on Fridays because we were seventh hour, the last class of the day, to kind of keep us seniors engaged with this language, is he invented this contest. And the contest works like this, kind of on the last Friday, for the last 20 minutes of class, what would happen is is that he would randomly choose four students to go up to the board and write uh, sentences that we had done in our homework, translating from English into Latin. He would then look at those four sentences and identify the number of errors that were in them, and then we could work together as a class to fix those errors. If we got all of them fixed, by the time the bell rang at 3 o'clock, there was no homework for the weekend. So this was a pretty good contest, at least on paper. The first time we tried it as a class, it was a complete and total failure. It was a complete and total failure because of one person. His name was Jason. And Jason was the brightest kid in our class by far. Not even close. He also was naturally gifted at Latin somehow, and most importantly, he actually did his homework. All of that meant that uh, the very first time we tried it, we put our sentences on the board, and Jason fixed every problem in about 30 seconds to maybe a minute. Well, unwilling to admit failure, Mr. Norman invented the Jason rule, which was essentially he was only allowed to fix three problems. But still, because he was on our side, we normally didn't end up with homework because whenever you got, we could handle kind of the lower level stuff, but anytime there was a really difficult thing, well, we've got three uh, get out of jail free things from Jason that he would take care of it. So we rarely ended up with homework. (laughs) However, one Friday, and I remember it very distinctly, and I don't remember exactly the details, but there was something to do with the band. And I'm not sure if they had a concert that afternoon that they had to prepare for, get ready. But anybody who was in band had to miss Latin seventh hour on that Friday. Now, that was a problem because normally people who are in band are pretty smart. And so once you took all of those people out of the class, it really lowered uh, the average. <laughs> and so the rest of us who were there... We banded together to do the best we could to try to not get homework, but it was pretty clear early on that this was hopeless. In fact, probably after about five or ten minutes out of the 20, so about halfway through, 
We had even given up just taking random guesses. Because yes, if you didn't know, you just went up there and erased one letter and put another one. We're like, is that right? We had given that up. Like it was clear we had no idea what was going on. And we had gotten a few, but there were still two or three uh, errors left. And we didn't even know what they were. No one was even working on it anymore. We were just sitting absolutely quietly knowing we were going to get two or three hours worth of homework uh, as soon as the bell rang at three o'clock. Well, literally at five minutes to three, the door burst open. The band students had finished their practice or whatever it were doing. <clears throat> and they had raced back to see if we, their classmates, had kept them from having additional homework. Probably the second person in the room was Jason, and I kid you not, I'm, I'm sometimes prone to exaggeration. This is not an exaggeration. When he walked into that room, it was pandemonium. Like, we literally jumped up on our desks, screaming, cheering, high-fiving. It was amazing. And it was not for naught. He walked right up to the classroom, uh, to the chalkboard, fixed three errors immediately. The bell went off. Mr. Norman, who was good-natured, he just sat there shaking his head. But no homework for the weekend. <clears throat> now, looking back, I realize, okay, it probably was not as big a deal as it felt at that moment, but it really, it felt pretty amazing. Like, yeah, he's on our side. Like, we're going to win. And I share that with you because I imagine that's just a very small taste of how the Israelites felt in Joshua chapter 10 because the author of Joshua ends our story with the phrase, surely the Lord was fighting for Israel. You know, sometimes we picture God as being this uh, God who sits on his throne, the throne of heaven, watching everything unfold in front of him. And that's true. And that's a healthy perspective. But there's another perspective, and that is the perspective of God getting up off his throne, dressing himself for battle and coming to join the fight with us. That too is a helpful perspective. And in Joshua chapter 10, we have the opportunity today to see God fighting alongside of us. Not just simply watching to see how it's going to go, but him entering into the fray with us. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about at Jericho, sometimes God fights for us and we just sit back and watch. Today in Joshua 10, we get to talk about God coming alongside of us, fighting with us in the battles that we're engaged in. And whatever you're engaged in right now, that God's brought you here this morning, whether it's a health issue or a family issue, whether it's something going on at work, whether it's just a battle with discouragement or the forces of evil or whatever it may be, today we want to look at how our God fights alongside of us. So Joshua chapter 10, I'm going to read you the story. There's a map that I want to show you. <clears throat> While I'm reading, the map will just kind of help you identify some of the names that you hear so you can kind of have a geographical orientation to it. Joshua chapter 10, I'm going to begin reading in verse 1. Now Adoni Zedek, king of Jerusalem, heard that Joshua had taken Ai and totally destroyed it, doing to Ai and its king as he had done to Jericho and its king, and that the people of Gibeon had made a treaty of peace with Israel and had become their allies. He and his people were very much alarmed at this because Gibeon was an important city, like one of the royal cities. It was larger than Ai, and all its men were good fighters. 
So Adoni Zedek, king of Jerusalem, appealed to Hoam, king of Hebron, Piram, king of Jarmuth, Japhia, king of Lachish, and Debir, king of Eglon. Come up and help me attack Gibeon, he said, because it has made peace with Joshua and the Israelites. Then the five kings of the Amorites, the kings of Jerusalem, Hebron, Jarmuth, Lachish, and Eglon joined forces. They moved up with all their troops and took up positions against Gibeon and attacked it. The Gibeonites then sent word to Joshua in the camp at Gilgal. Do not abandon your servants. Come up to us quickly and save us. Help us because all the Amorite kings from the hill country have joined forces against us. So Joshua marched up from Gilgal with his entire army, including all the best fighting men. The Lord said to Joshua, do not be afraid of them. I have given them into your hand. Not one of them will be able to withstand you. After an all-night march from Gilgal, Joshua took them by surprise. The Lord threw them into confusion before Israel. So Joshua and the Israelites defeated them completely at Gibeon. Israel pursued them along the road going up to Beth Horon and cut them down all the way to Azekah and Makeda. As they fled before Israel on the road down from Beth Horon to Azekah, the Lord hurled large hailstones down on them. And more of them died from the hail than were killed by the swords of the Israelites. On the day the Lord gave the Amorites over to Israel, Joshua said to the Lord in the presence of Israel, Son, stand still over Gibeon, and you, moon, over the valley of Ajalon. So the sun stood still and the moon stopped till the nation avenged itself on its enemies, as is written in the book of Jasher. The sun stopped in the middle of the sky and delayed going down about a full day. There has never been a day like it before or since, a day when the Lord listened to a human being. Surely the Lord was fighting for Israel. Surely the Lord was fighting for Israel. What we're talking about this morning is when God comes alongside of us in the troubles and the suffering and the difficulties of life and fights with us on our side to accomplish the things that we need to have accomplished. And there's two observations we want to make from this text this morning, two questions we want to answer. And the first is, who are the people that God fights alongside of? What kinds of people do we need to be so that God will come alongside of us and fight with us in the battles that we face? And then secondly, When God is fighting alongside of us, what should we expect to have happen? So first question, what kinds of people or who does God come alongside of and fight with? It says, surely the Lord fights for the Israelites. But interestingly, in the book of Psalms, the sort of Israelite prayer book, there are two times where the question is asked, Who may dwell on God's holy hill? Who can essentially be partners with God? Who does God come alongside of and fight beside and with? The first psalm that gives the answer to that question is Psalm 15. Psalm 15 says, Lord, who may dwell in your sacred tent? Who may live on your holy mountain? The one who keeps an oath even when it hurts and does not change their mind. 
Now think about this situation in Joshua 10 from Joshua's point of view. Last week we saw in Joshua 9, the Gibeonites, the people talked about here, they lie to Joshua and the children of Israel to make a covenant with them. Joshua, failing to inquire of the Lord, <clears throat> signs a peace treaty with the Gibeonites. It's a very unpopular peace treaty. Now, if I'm Joshua, and I hear the news that the Amorites surrounding Gibeon have turned on Gibeon, I'm thinking to myself, whew, this problem's going to take care of itself. The Amorites are going to attack the Gibeonites. The Gibeonites are going to be defeated because five kings and five cities against one. That's no match. They're going to get wiped out. You can't have a treaty with people who don't exist anymore. In fact, if I'm Joshua, I'm probably tempted to think, uh-huh, divine retribution. They lied. They deceived us. Now they're getting what they deserve. God is punishing them. But Joshua doesn't do that. He may have made a mistake in Joshua chapter 9. He doesn't make a mistake in Joshua chapter 10. What he does is, is he keeps the oath that he made. There's no discussion. There's no gathering the elders together. There's not a vote from the people to say, well, should we really help them or not? They lied to us. But we... He made an oath. And the Lord says, I come alongside and fight with those who keep their oaths even when it hurts. Talk about an unpopular treaty. The very first thing Israel now has to do is go and defend this people that lied to them to get in. Doesn't matter. Those who keep their oaths even when it hurts. Last week I told you uh, that some of you may have entered into a marriage relationship based on some deception that happened during the dating phase. And I told you, the oath is still binding even if you were deceived when you made it. But I got good news for you this week. If you fight for that oath, God will fight alongside of you. If you keep the covenant God will fight with you. He will enter into that marriage situation and he will walk alongside of you. Who does God fight alongside of? Those who keep their oaths even when it hurts. The second psalm that answers the question, who does God come alongside of, is the psalm that our choir sang for us, <clears throat> Psalm 24. And in Psalm 24, who may ascend to the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? The one who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not trust in an idol or swear by a false god. Essentially, who does God fight alongside of? Those who, when they get in trouble, turn not to their money or their work ethic or their power or other things, but throw themselves on the faithfulness of God. You see, interestingly, it says, surely the Lord was fighting for Israel. But is it just Israel that he's fighting for? Isn't he also fighting for the Gibeonites? Aren't they the ones that he's helping rescue? Why doesn't it say God was fighting for the Gibeonites and the Israelites? It's because they've been incorporated into the people of God. They have a covenant 
with the Israelites, they are now one people. And so when it says that God was fighting for Israel, it means he's fighting for the Gibeonites. Why? Because when they got in trouble, where they turned was to the Lord and to his people. <laughs> the Gibeonites didn't turn to more deception or say, no, no, we never made a covenant with them. They didn't. They turned to the Lord. And so God says, I will fight for you. I will fight alongside of anybody who turns to me for help. We've said in the past, maybe you came to faith for reasons that you think are not that great. Maybe you were scared of going to hell. Maybe your parents talked you into it. Maybe you thought that, well, it's just part of the wider society. Maybe you didn't really agree with the whole thing, but you kind of said, well, why not? I may as well try it. You know what? It doesn't matter why. The Gibeonites lied to get their covenant. But it doesn't matter. In the time of need, they threw themselves on the faithfulness of God, and God responded. It doesn't matter how you got in, how you became a Christian. It doesn't matter what you've done in the past. If right now you are in need, you got a choice. You can either turn to your money or your power, your work ethic or your abilities or your personality or whatever else, or you can throw yourself on the faithfulness of God. The Gibeons say, Lord and God's people, help us. And God says, now that's the kind of people I fight alongside of. Second question, what should we expect when God comes to fight alongside of us? Four things from the passage. Number one, verse eight. The Lord said to Joshua, do not be afraid of them. I have given them into your hand. Not one of them will be able to withstand you. The first thing that God does when he shows up to fight alongside of the Israelites is he brings reassurance of victory. Now, throughout the book of Joshua, God keeps telling Joshua over and over again, don't worry, you're going to be successful. Don't worry, this is going to work out. Don't worry, I'm with you. At some point, you could say, well, Joshua should be fully assured that everything's going to be fine. But the point is, in Joshua chapter 10, this is their hardest situation so far. They're not fighting against one city, Jericho, like they did, or two cities, Ai and Bethel, like they did before. They're fighting against five kings aligned against them. Worse than that, they find out with no time to send in spies or create a battle plan or to prepare or even to have a worship service to get them ready to go. They simply get a messenger saying Gibeon is being attacked. They then do a forced march through the night, probably 20 miles. And the moment they show up in the morning, it's time for battle. This is a very difficult situation. And so God comes along and says, Joshua, don't worry. I'm here with you. And if I'm fighting with you, we're not going to lose. See, sometimes people come up to me and they ask, can you help me figure out what God's up to in my life? And I love doing that. That's one of the great things about being a pastor is just trying to help people figure out what God is doing. Sometimes uh, they'll come and they'll say, I just don't see God at work. And we kind of look at the situation and it's true. God doesn't seem to be doing very much. And my advice to them is, Keep waiting. Uh, keep waiting and, and, and praying. We've got to be patient. We're going to wait for the God to show up. Other times, however, people come and say, like, I, 
I felt like God woke me up at four in the morning or I felt like I had this interesting conversation with this person or this thing happened at work and it feels like God is in it, but I can't quite figure out what's going on. Can you help me make sense of this? Sometimes I'm able to, sometimes I'm not, but my advice or response is always the same. Well, rejoice because if you've seen God at work, it means he's in the fight. And if he's in the fight, even if you don't understand what he's doing yet, you're going to come out victorious on the other side. If last week you inquired of the Lord and you heard God give you a response and you're like, I'm not sure what that response really means. I might not know either, but I got good news for you. Whatever the response is, if God's talking, he's in the fight. And if he's in the fight, there is no way you can lose. So the first thing that we expect when God comes and joins us in battle is reassurance. This is going to turn out okay. Second thing that we should expect is that when we're fighting alongside of God, it will not always be clear when God is the one working and when we're the ones working. Verses 10 and 11, the Lord threw them into confusion before Israel. So Joshua and the Israelites defeated them completely at Gibeon. Israel pursued them along the road. As they fled before Israel on the road, the Lord hurled large hailstones down on them, and more of them died from the hail than were killed by the swords of the Israelites. In verses 10 and 11, it's not exactly clear who's doing what. The Lord seems to be doing some things. Israel seems to be doing things. Who's doing which part? The answer is it doesn't matter because when the Lord is fighting alongside of you, you are allies in the same battle. What this means is is that if you sit down to talk to your child who's walking away from the Lord and you've been praying desperately for this child and you open your mouth and you start to talk and you ask the question, who's actually giving me the words to say, are they mine? Are they coming from God? It doesn't matter because you and the Lord are in this battle together. And some of the things that you're doing is God working in and through you. And some of the things that God is doing, you get to be part of. And when God is fighting alongside of us, that project moves forward or that person gets hired and we think, well, was it because I went through that process? Maybe. Is it because God did it apart from me? Maybe. The point is, it doesn't matter. When God is fighting alongside of you, it will not always be clear exactly who's doing what, but it will be clear that you and the Lord are fighting together. Having said that, that takes us to the third observation, and that is there are some things which it's clear that God is doing during battle that only he could do. In this story, there are three of them. Number one, he throws the enemy into confusion. Number two, he hurls hailstones from heaven, which hit the enemies and not the Israelites. And number three, he actually literally causes the sun to stand still in the sky so that there is more time in the day for this battle to take place. Now, the observation about those three things is that if you put them together, they are an increase in power and in uniqueness. What I mean by that is that oftentimes in the Bible, God throws Israel's enemies into confusion. That's a pretty common thing. 
less common and more powerful, we have just a few occurrences where God actually uses hail to help win a battle or to help show that he's present. Even less common and more powerful, in fact, only once do we really have this, does God cause the earth's rotation to stop and celestial bodies to stay in their place so that there's an additional 24 hours in a day. And the point is, when God engages in the battle, his power will shine through in ever-increasing measure. At the beginning... God seems to be working alongside of us and doing his part and we're doing our part. But while we get more tired, his strength shines through more strongly. You see, most people, the best fighting that we're able to do happens at the beginning of the battle. That's when our strength is the strongest. When God is fighting in a battle... His strength shines through at the end. He keeps getting stronger and stronger. Now this is good news. <laughs> because while we're in it together, the reason why we're guaranteed victory is because God will keep amping up his strength until the battle is won. That's why the battle is the Lord's. It doesn't ultimately ride on our shoulders. Fourth thing that we should expect when God fights alongside of us, and this is perhaps the most stunning. The fourth thing that we should expect is that there will be times, now hear me very carefully when I say this, there will be times when God submits himself to our requests. Verse 12 on the day the Lord gave the Amorites over to Israel, Joshua said to the Lord in the presence of Israel, sun stands still in the sky. That is a stunning statement. It doesn't say that Joshua said to the sun, stand still in the sky. It says Joshua said to the Lord, make the sun stand still in the sky. Now, if that seems like that's a pretty bold, powerful statement, that's because it is. Now, please don't take this the wrong way. I don't think that Joshua at any point thought he was more powerful than God or that he somehow was in charge of God or somehow that God was serving him. But listen, don't swing the pendulum too far the other way either. Joshua appears to be telling the Lord what he needs to do. So much so that the verse says there's never been a day before or since when a Lord listened to a human being. That Hebrew word for listening is also the Hebrew word for obeying. That there seems to be some sense in which Joshua, who is the commander of the army, is giving out orders. 
And Joshua realizes at some point in the battle, look, in order for us to be successful, we're going to have to have a longer day. And he looks around at his lieutenants and go, well, they can't give us a longer day. And he looks at the rest of the soldiers and think they can't give us a longer day. And he looks at his chief of staff and says, he can't give me a longer day. But he looks at his ally who is fighting alongside of him. And Joshua realizes the Lord Almighty's got the power to lengthen the day. And so he turns to his ally and says, Lord, we need a longer day. And crazily enough, God listens. God submits himself to Joshua's request. Now, now if it was us, we would be, Lord, please, if you're willing, Lord, it might be possible. You could do lots of things, Lord. We know you could do this. If it all, please don't be angry with us for even asking. But if you might be willing to just do something, five minutes would be fine. Anything, Lord. Just have the sun come out from behind the clouds for just a second. That's not what Joshua does. Joshua says, Lord, I need help. And what I need you to do is something that's never been done before. But you know the great thing? Joshua's ally, his arm's not too short. He can do anything that needs to happen. And please, when you read the author say, never been a day like this before or since, Please don't take that to mean that God only listened to people once. Where it's like, okay, I guess Joshua got away with it. It was the heat of battle. He didn't know what he was saying. The Lord was like, all right, fine. I won't strike you dead. I'll just make the day longer. No, no, no. That's not it. The point is, if you take the unique confluence of events... A longer 24-hour day, being in the middle of battle, having to cry out for God to help. All of that, the author of Joshua is saying, look, that was a unique kind of thing. But the point is, if you read through the Bible, there are more and more occurrences where God actually submits himself to the things that his people ask him to do. He says, come boldly, come with confidence. Tell me what it is that you need me to do in the middle of this fight. And the point of Joshua is, tell him. Because when God is fighting alongside of you, we should expect that he's going to listen to some of the crazy requests we give him, and he's actually going to do them. You ever been in the middle of a situation and felt like, all right, Lord, I know we're going to win this battle, but today I don't feel it. Today I'm discouraged. God, I need you to do something encouraging for me today. Lord, I'm not sure I can make it another day unless you... The Lord hears those prayers and he responds. He says, here you go. You've asked for encouragement. Here it is. I remember when Dan was going through all of this stuff about Grace Beyond, one of the things in which as we were sitting there praying and I'm like, Lord, I need to know. He's like, do you remember what you asked for two years ago? Oh, yeah. Did you not see that I did it? Oh, yeah, you did. That's what God does. And that's what we should expect when he's fighting alongside of us. See, when God joins the battle, you can be assured you're going to win. When God joins the battle, it won't always be clear what's him doing stuff and what's you doing. You're kind of working together in this. When God joins the battle... We sometimes think, okay, well, once he joins, it's going to end immediately. No, no, no. God's just getting warmed up. When God joins the battle, 
His strength will be manifested in the situation in ever-increasing measure until he wins. And when God joins the battle, he says, tell me what you need me to do. The arm of the Lord is not too short. You need a longer day? I can take care of that. You need encouragement? I can take care of that. You need me to raise someone from the dead? I can handle that. You need me to heal someone? I can do that. Who does God do these things for? Those who keep their oaths even when it hurts and those who throw themselves on God's faithfulness. Whatever situation you're in, you came here this morning tempted to look to your own strength, the strength of others, your own power, your own money, whatever it may be. But if you will choose to throw yourself on God's faithfulness and say, Lord, I don't deserve it, but we got a covenant. You agreed to be my God and I agreed to be your child in Jesus Christ. I need your help. That's who God responds to. Whatever situation you're in, call upon him and he will come fight alongside of you. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you would impress this picture of who you are into our brains. Lord, I pray that we would be able to have wisdom through your spirit to see that you're at work alongside of us. Lord, I know that there are many of us here this morning who perhaps thought that you're not fighting alongside of us, perhaps thought that you have abandoned us. Lord, I pray that right now you would show us that you're in the fight. Lord, for those that you're not in the fight yet, I pray that patiently we would continue to pray. Lord, for those that you've said, no, 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 this is my fight, I'm gonna do it by myself. Lord, I pray that we would submit and be willing. But for those of us in which you're in the fight with us, God, I pray that we'd be encouraged. I pray that this morning we would hear your voice speaking to us these words. Lord, if there's any of us here this morning who have made an oath to you and haven't kept it, Lord, if there's any of us here this morning that have promised you time or money or affections and have been giving it to others, Lord, please, please convict us of that and bring us to repentance. Lord, if there are any of us here this morning who are looking to our own strength, who are looking to uh, other things instead of you, Lord, convict us and call us, tell us to call upon you. And God, I ask for these situations that you are fighting in. I pray that you would bring encouragement. I pray that you would bring hope. And I pray that this word today would be a message from you, that we might hear it and believe it. For we ask this in Jesus' name, amen.